Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and we review and we discuss every horror movie on Netflix. That's right. We're watching all of them. Back again, it's me, Chris, and I'm here with Patrick. Hello. And I'm here with Steven. Hi. And joining us again, we have a special guest. Who is it? Who is it? It's an Amon All-Star. There's your hint. Uh, a recent addition to our guest stable, we have Christine back again. hey Hi, Hi, Christine. Hi, guys. Christine was on our Polaroid episode, <laughs> and uh, she returns again uh, for for this episode. Which... We pick the cream of the crop for Christine. I think that's the, <laughs> the pattern that's developing here. <laughs> I'm super flattered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, how, how have you been lately, Christine? It's been a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, quarantining you know just like everybody else and um slowly losing my mind but other than that i'm fine everything's fine have you been writing i have i have been writing but it's interesting because you know everybody's got all this quarantine time now and people are doing crazy extraordinary things that i'm just like well i wrote 200 words today and then i sat on the couch a lot so yeah well patrick Patrick and I have actually been talking about that where, you know, I think a lot of us are feeling the pressure to, you know, put this time to good use and and write our masterpiece or write your pizza face killer or whatever (laughs) it might be. Um, But we were talking about how, like, the actual writers and actually successful people that, like, I follow on Twitter are like, listen, it's, you know, a crazy time. It's fucking with your head. Don't feel bad for just sitting on the couch with your Doritos. Like just managing to get through the day is is an achievement in itself right now. Yeah, self-maintenance is the most important thing I'm finding. Um, I have these lofty dreams of finally writing my, my Funhouse remake during this pandemic, and that lasted about a week. I think I wrote an 800-word treatment, and I've given up. <laughs> For now. 800 words is good, though. Like 200 yeah. words, 800 words, those are both good. Good job. I did bang out like an 800 word treatment for a movie via text message about a football coach that recruits a ghost to play on his team. (laughs) And then you emailed it to us like copy pasted from your text, which was just a uniquely delirious way to read a movie treatment. (laughs) (laughs) I still think it's a good idea. Damn it. I enjoyed it. At least, at least, you know, now that I know where the bar is for horror movies, um, (laughs) <laughs> so so I'll, I'll take responsibility i picked uh death house for this why week. Uh, why in god's name chris what it's what attracted you to this title it sounded great in theory yeah first of all the name's death house secondly the the synopsis on netflix and we can get into whether or not the movie actually had anything to do with that synopsis was about a high-tech prison modeled after dante's inferno and you look at the cast and it's the Avengers of horror icons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which always makes me skeptical immediately when I see a cast like this. Because, you know, these people are not very expensive, but I presume this to be a low-budget movie, and all of the money clearly went to the cast and not 
any other element of development in this thing. <laughs> we got Barbara Crampton. We got Felissa Rose. We got Kane Hodder. We got yeah, Michael Tony Berryman. Todd, we got Michael Berryman. We got who else do we fucking have in this? Sid Haig. Sid. We Hague. got Adrian Barbeau as the narrator. I was like, where the fuck is Adrian Barbeau? It turns out she was the narrator, which I think is just the person who like narrates the little. Uh, like digital tours of the prison a couple of times yeah you you're sold on the movie because you see all of these all-stars in the cast but the top billing goes to cody longo and (laughs) courtney palm (laughs) wait hold the fucking phone also i forgot to mention that we got on my list of we gots we also got amon alum d wallace that's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. And you know, she was going to be at Motor City Nightmares. We were going to see her again. And if we see her again, I may ask her about Death House. <laughs> I want to know like where she found a stash of quaaludes to take during the production of this movie. <laughs> it's like we we love D, but man, this is one of the most like absent performances I think I've ever seen in a horror movie. You know, this is the part where we usually kind of explain the premise of the movie. But this is the most inscrutable movie I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I really, I had no idea what it was about the entire time. I would think I, you know, I knew what was going on and like where it could possibly go and what they were getting at. And then they would just do something ridiculous and then it would totally throw me off. And I, it looks like for me, it looks like that they just went, wrote the script as they were recording it. Because everything <laughs> was like all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there's a line in the final, like, three minutes of this movie where one of the protagonists says to the other, we don't even know who we are or what we are. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> this movie, which we should mention, was... Um, I'm, I'm a little confused on this because everything on the internet says um, Leatherface himself, Gunnar Hansen, wrote this movie, but in the opening credits, he just gets a story by it. But it feels like it was written by... Benjamin Mara, <laughs> in a way, like who who oh. makes like who makes comic books um, about that are like like teenage horny adolescent ah. violent fantasies that are sort of like parodies of eighties and nineties action movies. Like this movie seems to be focused on a lot of like big ideas about good and evil and the role of technology. And it's just fucking delirious how that information is delivered. Wait, it wait, makes wait. No I sense. have to I have to intervene on Benjamin Mara's behalf here because I love Benjamin Mara. Benjamin Mara makes self-aware uh, yes. comics, and this shit is not self-aware <laughs> whatsoever. Also, Benjamin Mara's comics are entertaining, which this movie also is not. I wasn't making a direct comparison. Thank you for for correcting me on that. No, it it, it feels like the kind of thing that Benjamin Mara is parodying, I should say. It just feels like, you know, this is something that you'd find in like a horny 13-year-old horror fan's, you know, sketchbook or something. There were a lot of breasts. A lot of breasts. A lot of breasts. I lost a lot count. of breast shots, a lot of nip shots. Yeah, a lot really of neat. just close up breast shots. Yes. As an excuse to, like, show you a character's tattoo, but it's really just a boob shot. I will say this. It was a variety of different kinds of boobs, so I appreciated that. That's true. There was boob diversity. It's a real <laughs> buffet of boobs. We've boob got diversity, but not racial diversity, because this was true. a super white cast. <laughs> I, 
I'm just at a loss. I, you know, this is a really hard movie to talk about, and it's going to sound <laughs> like we're just bad at talking about movies or like we just want to pile on to a movie. No. But this is just, this is the most unique movie watching experience I've ever had in my life. Yes. <laughs> it was like, I, I felt like I had drank like two bottles of Robitussin or something. <laughs> Listen, like, I, I started watching this movie I was kind of tired when I started watching it. I wasn't paying great attention for the first half hour. I shut it off, went to go do something else, and came back. And I was like, man, that really wasn't making any sense. But, you know, it's probably me. Like, I wasn't paying very good attention. I'm going to start this so from the beginning. Oh, I, yeah, no. I went back and rewatched the first half hour. It did not make any more sense. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. So I, I literally had just got done watching this. And what I did was, because I needed to get out of the house, I went, I, I left I parked. It was just me and my vehicle, and I watched it on my cell phone. It was just me in the video, and it was still fucking horrible. Okay? You went into self-isolation with this movie. I did. I did. And I still didn't understand a damn thing. I remember almost nothing. I feel like I drank the milk of amnesia that they keep referring to in the movie. Let's start with, like, the very beginning. What the fuck is Tony Todd's role in all of this? Can anybody oh, explain that to me? Great question. <laughs> like, great that's question. top of my list right there. Literally, this movie begins and ends with Tony Todd of Candyman fame, Final Destination fame, uh, who I love. I mean, he's just always such a uniquely malevolent presence whenever he shows up. And he's got some young woman in the back of a van. She seems to be paralyzed somehow or other. He's given her something to make her unable to move. And he's just fucking monologuing about how he grew Venus flytraps and just making <laughs> That very, was my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, just making very vague comments about what he's going to do to her. And it never becomes clear, A, what he's actually doing to these women, or B, what his fucking purpose is in this movie in general, because he only has two scenes that start and end the movie. I guess maybe that's spoiler room territory. Sorry if I'm no, breaking protocol there. I don't think so. I don't even, yeah. You can't shit. spoil this movie. <laughs> this movie's hard to spoil, but yeah, like, and then because he's in the prologue and the epilogue, and then the epilogue ends with like what is presented as some kind of reveal, but it has nothing to do with anything we've seen in the previous 90 minutes. Right, he puts the woman in the van and then closes the door and uh-oh, like radio Active contents inside. Yeah, I don't mean? know what that means. <laughs> it was baffling. At the end, when I was like, what the fuck is going on with this guy and these girls? I assumed that the girls were what they were recruiting for the murderers to go through their scenes in the death Oh, house. like he's a casting agent? Yeah. Yeah, he's the a death house? Exactly. That's what I thought. Could be. I hadn't uh, even I thought of that. Really fucking think about that for a long time, though. <laughs> All right, let 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 me try to provide a skeletal <laughs> synopsis of of what's vaguely going on in this movie. Basically, we have our two heroes. They are agents from a unknown agency who are coming to this this prison. It's a high security prison. And it takes, I guess, the worst criminals in the world. They experiment on them and they put them in like matrix like simulations where they get to relive their crimes or something. They're trying to like reprogram them with technology somehow. 
and then like some of it seems to be like a normal prison and then like at the basement of this big underground complex on the ninth level or whatever you have the so-called five evils which are (laughs) um just hilarious we'll get into this in a little bit but <laughs> but they uh, they all they give you all their bios at the beginning of the film and they're all fucking hilarious but anyway they're like the the most evil criminals in like world history uh down in the bottom like immortals and we have uh kane hodder's a new inmate coming in there's a there's a prison break that's caused by circumstances we don't ever really get to see. And then our heroes, our agents are trying to escape the prison and escape all the throngs of inmates and, and killers. Uh, I think that's the, basically what's going on. here. That's what's going on. And there's like a supernatural quasi religious element going on as well. That develops throughout that again, makes absolutely no fucking sense. Um, something about how technology is like breeding a new form of violence. It's trying to be Cronenberg or Clive Barker or something. I don't know. So one of the notes that I put down and, and by the way, the last show that I was on my first show, I had like one sentence that I wrote down for notes. I have three three fucking pages that I have for notes. One thing I wrote wow. down was um, '90s futuristic paranormal bullshit." That's how I kind of sum up yes. the genre. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good uh, sort of capsule review. <laughs> and you know what? I was loving it, and I, I actually because <laughs> because. Uh, because Patrick, Patrick broke our embargo a little bit, and he was texting us, and he was like, I, I don't know if I can watch this fucking movie, guys. <laughs> and then no, I, specifically, I, I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to maintain embargo, just because <laughs> I was, like, so just gobsmacked at what I was seeing that I, like, wanted to talk about it via text and just be like, are you guys seeing the same thing I am right now? Well, and what's funny about this, too, is I think you are probably the most excited out of the three of us to see this movie, like maybe even more so than Chris. Like we were I was being very pessimistic about it. Like, look, this is probably going to be shit and not the fun kind of shit. Um, Well, I try to get stoked about everything in advance. I try to go into everything with the most positive possible attitude. And I was like, all right, this sounds like the best possible interpretation of this concept sounds like it could be awesome. So I went in, like, hoping for it to be awesome. And, you know, I think even with the script that's there, it could have been a lot more entertaining. This movie just drags and drags at, like, a somnolent pace. There's nothing really exciting going on. Like, even when, you know, you're expecting, like, this, like, prison break siege sort of thing going on. And there are very few action sequences. And when there are, you can't even tell what's going on because it's so fucking dark and incompetently shot. Like, I I could see this. I could see the bones of this being made into something that at least offers, like, really stupid fun genre thrills at at a clip. That's not what we got, though. I agree with you there. I guess I don't necessarily agree with the somnolent pace. I see how you could have that experience with it, but my experience was more, it's just throwing new shit at you every two minutes that doesn't make a damn bit of sense. And I was sort of more overwhelmed by all the different strange information that was being thrown at me, but I could see how like you just get worn down by that shit and it starts to feel like just that draggy pace because it's like, okay, there's another like weird sci-fi concept being explained to me that makes no sense and is invalidated by the concept explained in the next scene. I'm bored, you know? That that's that therein lies the the problem for me with the pacing of this movie because I realized after about 10 minutes none of this is going to add up to anything and it's just got to be 
like I could I could choose to be exhausted or just have a very sleepy experience with it and let it roll and I chose the latter. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think you guys uh uh wrecked yourselves on this because <laughs> After what? the first like after the first like five or six minutes, I was already like this this movie is just incompetent on all <laughs> levels and throwing insane <laughs> shit at me and i'm just gonna I'm just gonna scoop back into my couch and I'm just gonna let it hit me i'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna roll with it I'm not gonna and, lie after watching thirty minutes of this, I decided to get high and I could not get high enough to enjoy this. It was still <laughs> just like infuriating to sit through <laughs> i I was having a pretty damn good time I watched I like about fifteen or twenty minutes in I texted Steve this is where I was going with that that text conversation thing because because patrick had already you know said less than encouraging things to us in the group chat so then i just texted steve i said honestly this movie fucks so far (laughs) (laughs) i was loving it then you complained that patrick and i were ruining your new favorite movie (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah because because steve said this is almost unwatchable and i said you're all doing a lot of bitching about my new favorite film (laughs) now did it end up my new favorite film no but um there's still some things that you know i i I just tried to get on its level and i was having a damn good time with uh especially you know the introduction of these five evils like (laughs) this was just like maybe it's just because i play a lot of metal gear solid and i'm used to this kind of shit but like they introduced these guys i took a screenshot i actually posted a screenshot of one of these to to twitter but like chris i'm sorry to interrupt but i actually wrote in my notes like can we roll the clip for that at some point during this because i feel like it just has to be heard to be believed yeah 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 let's just let's just roll the clip of them introducing this uh alexi neela Alexei Nila, age undetermined. Deported to United States 1994 under U.S.-Russian Psy Exchange. Cannibal, necromancer. Connected to deaths of over 700 children. And then it cuts to our hero, like, in his VR, like, briefing, just squirming and saying, 700 kids. (laughs) 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 Like, that was just just amazing. And I didn't even care if it was played straight or played for comedy. It was just amazing to me. And at its best, this movie really just captures that absurdity where you're just like amazed at what you're seeing and the pace at which you're seeing it it's like it's a lot like a neil breen movie in a lot of ways too like i kept thinking of him during this where it it feels like he might have honestly been an influence which would be hilarious but during when we're introduced to the five evils sid Haig plays one of them and i was very confused about this does he kill those two people with icicles oh i wrote that down i'm so excited that you said that (laughs) and i didn't understand he's in like the sweltering summer sun sitting in a wheelchair he does have a cooler next to him so i guess he could have kept those icicles fairly fresh and hard but i it, i don't know what was going on yeah there. his name is the icicle killer oh right okay he's, i missed that i missed that, I missed that no, too well yeah you did miss it because it's not referenced in the movie you only find that out if you look up the the credits you don't know that's his name unless you look in the credits oh you oh said that God. like you fucking idiots he's the right. icicle killer <laughs> no i meant if there was a fucking idiots implied it's 
everyone who made this movie is a fucking idiot. That was what was implied <laughs> in my tone. God, and I feel so bad shitting on this because Gunnar Hansen and Kane Hodder were like awesome guys. There's actually a really great documentary about Kane Hodder on uh, on Shudder, and he's a fascinating person. You know, we get the in memoriam to Gunnar Hansen at the end. You know, like I, I want to see something in this just because I admire those two guys so much, and I, I can't, man. I gotta, I gotta speak ill of the dead here. You know, I actually got... That's so weird that you mentioned that Kane Hodder seems to be a good guy in real life. I, I don't know really anything about him in real life, but there's something about his performance in this that... Um, I don't know. I think it's probably just because he's not a tremendous actor necessarily, so I felt like I was getting more of just Kane Hodder being Kane Hodder, and for some reason I was just getting good vibes. I was like, even though you're playing a psychopath, you seem like you're probably a good guy. I don't know. I was just getting good good feels off him for some reason. Oh, he's a sweetie. I mean, all these guys are. You know, like Michael Berryman has made a career out of, you know, taking care of like rescue animals and stuff. He's like a big animal activist. Like horror people are the best. Like I genuinely love I mean, having only met one of these people, Dee Wallace, but like I love hearing about people like Felissa Rose and like what their what their actual lives are like because, you know, after their brief flirtation with fame, like I wanted to get on this movie's level just because I have such a fondness for all of these people. But man, I feel like they were duped into this somehow. (laughs) So can we have a group discussion and try and figure out what the fuck these two protagonists are doing at this place to begin with? No clue. Because no clue. No idea. No fucking clue. There's no discussion to be had. Inexplicable from scene (laughs) to scene. We find out that they both have some kind of checkered pasts, you know, uh, our female lead, whose name I already forget. Oh, Tori. Tori Alex Boone. Her middle oh, name yeah. is Tor- spelled Alex, Agent but pronounced Boone. Alex. Agent Boone. Toria, yeah. Toria Lex. Toria Lex Boone. Oh, right. Toria <laughs> Lex Boone. That's right. Yeah. And then Jay Tynan Novak. Yes. Like, like oh these are the names that you come up with when you're like 14 years old and you think you're writing the coolest fucking name ever. <laughs> yeah. for your exactly. And, exactly. And you just need agents. Like it doesn't matter where they're from or why they're there, but you're if you're making a movie about a, a prison siege, you have to have special agents. Exactly. And they they get like a carte blanche tour to this facility that I mean, I'm very confused as to why this thing exists in the first place. It seems to have something to do with Operation Paperclip, which is a real thing. Um, And then it's been, like, abandoned by the government. So they can just do whatever the fuck they want with these inmates and experiment with them, you know, to no end. But the agents come there and they both have this checkered past. You know, Agent Boone uh, killed a couple of people while she was undercover to try and maintain her cover while she was trying to incriminate. Kane Hodder's character, Sieg. Novak uh, just sort of randomly slit some throats. That's never really explained at all what the yeah. fuck he was doing well, with that. Well, like it was like a like the Daniel Pearl execution. I thought yeah. it was a little bit crass the way that was presented. But yeah. Um, yeah, he was like embedded in the Middle East, apparently. And and I don't know if the implication is that they were doing it because they had to maintain their cover or if it was actually like part of their graduation from their agency that they just had to do this. Right. And at some point, it's sort of intimated. I mean, literally in the same scene, Barbara Crampton suggests that the two agents are there basically to be healed and sort of like to be made whole again and be made like proper humans again after they've committed these terrible crimes. But then she excuses their crimes in the next moment. And it's really hard to tell if they're supposed to be there to be like 
punished and rehabilitated, or if they're in a way almost being rewarded because Agent yeah. Boone gets to go into a simulation and kill the murderer of her mother, played by Danny Trejo in another just absolutely <laughs> bizarre cameo. Uh, just boggling. I don't I don't know. I don't know what they I were doing there. I was equally confused, Patrick. I didn't know if they were being punished or what. Like, I, I kind of expected that as as this went on, this this whole thing might be kind of a a trial for them, like in like a, another yeah. experiment that the death house is perpetrating. And given how it ends, maybe that was the intent. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> right. And the characters don't know either. Like at one point they both say they don't remember anything about their lives outside of the death house. And it's kind of suggested that maybe this is all just an illusion that they've been trapped in there for some, you know, nefarious purpose, but it's, it's never clarified. It is absolutely mind-boggling i can't it's just incomparable to me i I have not seen something this just obtuse in i I don't know i don't know when was the last time i saw something like this (laughs) it's it's a paragon of incompetence and like i wanted at some point some point i was like huh like who could have made this work what filmmaker could like make me want to try and get on level i was thinking okay here's my dream my dream cast for this or my dream like production duo i want lee wan l to direct it (laughs) and i want warren i want warren ellis to write the screenplay oh my god take all the bones that are there and like that's a fucking movie that i can get behind wow warren ellis maybe they'll remake it but I actually, I did have a think, like, similar to what you were, well, how we discussed Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. I hope that there's, like, a eight-year-old kid watching this movie somewhere and just loving it. And then he's going to grow up and be a competent filmmaker, and he's going to remake it. No, Chris, the whole problem, I think, is that this this movie was made by someone who was once an eight-year-old kid who watched a lot of bad horror movies and uh, just never really truly grew up. <laughs> I mean, guys, right. we like talked about this Sid Haig scene, but we didn't even touch on the weirdest part of it, which is that it comes while Agent Novak is taking a virtual tour of the facility that he's already inside. He's taking a virtual tour of a facility that he could very easily and plausibly take a physical tour of. That's one. That's note one. Note two is then all of a sudden we go into this simulation slash hallucination with Sid Haig, where Sid Haig is puzzled almost by why he's seeing Agent Novak. It's and, and this scene just like appears out of nowhere. Sid Haig makes vague references to something that happens with uh, Agent Novak's brother, something that happened with his brother in the past, as if oh yeah, Novak yeah, should. As if, like, Novak should know the meaning of this, and, oh, it's, what? What? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what, indeed. I mean, what at every what in every frame, okay? Even the beginning, I'm like, Tony Todd's, like, just menacing this woman vaguely out in the fucking pasture lands. Well, aren't they right out, I'm sorry, aren't they right outside the death house? Or, like, yes, near the grounds? they are. And there's, like, a vent in the desert where yeah. you can hear Wilhelm screams coming out constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, there's, a, there's a faucet where you can pour tar. <laughs> yeah, what was that? <laughs> And you know what? The whole oh time God. he did that, so he like you know opened the faucet up and put his hands under there, and then he was like licking the blood, and then he gave her some. And I'm thinking, your hands are fucking dirty, man. Oh, and was he's that a kid blood? That he was eating blood. Yeah, I thought it was blood. Was it not blood? Blood. Tar, I thought it was oil. Evil. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was like crude oil. It's like black. 
black gold Texas tar. <laughs> I thought it was like putrid blood. I, this makes me want to see Tony Todd in some more rural roles, though. I was getting a very like Flannery O'Connor vibe from that opening sequence, and I was I was like sort of excited to see where that would develop. I want to see him like growing tomatoes. You know, I almost feel it almost feels like, you know, when you used to tape movies off a of TV, it almost seems like there's the beginning and ending of a potentially interesting movie starring Tony Todd. And then somebody just taped 88 minutes of bullshit over it. <laughs> or like just uh, just uh, like 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 they had their VCR timer set up on the sci fi channel. So it was just starting and stopping at random <laughs> increments of random movies over the course of like three well, no, weeks. It, it flipped between TCM and sci fi at the beginning and end. <laughs> I think it's what really happened here. <laughs> uh, but as like Tony Todd's doing all this, there's also like 72 point font titles all over the entire <laughs> fucking screen. You can barely even see Tony Todd's face, even though they paid him probably $15,000 for the day or something. That's generous. Uh, uh, <laughs> his face is like covered up by Adrian Barbeau's name, who again does not appear in this movie. I, Chris, uh, Patrick, I'm so glad that you explained that Adrian Barbeau is the narrator because I, I mean, I, I paid attention to this movie. I, I did try and, you know, do my best to get through it the whole time. I was like, did I hallucinate and miss her or something yeah i spent an embarrassing amount of time trying to figure out if adrian barbeau was the like countess bathory evil lady even though i knew she wasn't <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i'm a huge felissa rose fan i didn't even notice felissa rose in this movie really she's a very small part yeah it is a small part but i mean felissa rose is unmistakable wait do you mean you actually didn't notice her you didn't find her in the movie steven yeah She's in the the scene where they like show all the drugged like I guess they're supposed to be homeless people standing around with the green screen behind them. She's one of the two like lab assistants and is wearing uh, okay. an Im- improbably bright red outfit for a, a lab assistant. Given that the other person is wearing like a standard <laughs> doctor's white coat. Therein lies one of the huge problems with a movie like this that, you know, we're not talking like a Robert Altman ensemble here, um, but I, even that can be like a little bit distracting sometimes, like waiting for, you know, Andy McDowell to show up or something. But in this movie, like I spent an inordinate amount of time, like distracted by what was going on because I'm like, wait, has Bill Mosley shown up yet? Where was Felissa Rose? Like you see <laughs> these people in the opening credits and it almost feels like a game or a sport or something like spot the celebrity. Did anybody else have that experience? Um, c- kind of, there were, there were plenty of folks I recognized and also some I didn't recognize. So it was kind of a situation where I, where I was frequently checking my phone to see who played who and if it was somebody of of note, you know, because I was like, again, I recognize some and others. I'm like, I maybe should recognize this person, but I don't. So I was just constantly checking to see who was who. It's like, you know, we talked about in the Green Room episode um, about Patrick Stewart being stunt casting. Like, this entire movie was stunt cast. <laughs> so, I mean, okay. What's going on with these homeless people? So, all right. So the ostensible premise, the ostensible premise is that we have a prison where the prisoners are all subjected to some combination. And even this is something that we could probably spend 30 minutes discussing and never get anywhere. Some combination of drugs and high tech uh, virtual simulation slash hallucinations. And these things are intended to 
somehow rehabilitate them and make them, you know, like post-human, transhuman, as the term is used at one point. And they explain transhuman is better than human, as right. if that didn't seem obvious enough. <laughs> and we're repeatedly shown various killers in, you know, kind of a, a catatonic state where they're under the influence of this combination of drugs and technology. But we also have like this cast, we find out that there's a, they drag homeless people in off the street and meticulously cast people who look like the killer's past victims to put them into these scenes, uh, which was very confusing to me because if it's a virtual simulation, why do you have to bring in real people to go into these scenes that are ostensibly hallucinations and i know of course yeah, the answer the is technology we isn't there yet man the technology isn't there it's like they can make nightstands they can make beds they can't make people in the matrix <laughs> it's crazy too because they just have like one gr- giant green screen soundstage which i think also most of the rest of this movie was shot on um, oh yeah I, that, that was and, fascinating and, like, they're because, all like yeah. they're all acting at the same time within like three feet of each other i just i couldn't wrap my brain around what this technology was supposed to be. Oh, do you think those people were all like actively in simulations in that moment? No, no, yeah, they were. They, they were, were just all in, they were in the shit. casting department. They were yeah. in the ca- I, listen, I listen, think Chris, I really I don't. think Chris is right. <laughs> I, it feels like such a feeble, futile effort to like try to like correct each other on the details of the plot of this movie. <laughs> right. There are no, there is no right and no wrong in like, the world. Yeah, of I don't house. care. Not, but no, that was, I think, the casting department, the intake, kind of, for all of them. Um, but yeah, the green screen set was pretty interesting just because, yeah, like, when you're dealing with this many stars, like, the most efficient way to do it is just to do everything in one big green screen studio and have, like, Sid Haig come in and sit on a picnic blanket for five minutes and do his scene <laughs> on a green screen set. Yeah. And then he goes out one door and Tony Todd comes in or well, not, Tony Todd, I guess was actually outside, but you know, so many of these characters were just on the green screen set for a day, uh-huh. just have uh. a revolving door. And, and then, but like the thing is, if you're, if you have that much green screen in your movie, you should at least figure out how to light your green screen so that it's not bleeding oh green God. onto everyone's <laughs> shoulders, which literally takes like two lights. Okay. That drove me <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. That scene with the green screen in the background, where you, I mean, where you literally see the green screen, as opposed to the many other scenes in the movie that have that were shot on a green screen and then at, the backgrounds were added later. Uh, that scene exists. I feel almost exclusively just to have two gratuitous boob shots. You know, as Christine well, pointed yeah. out earlier, you know, it's like I think it's Felissa Rose or maybe the other woman, her her sidekick in that scene just like rips open these basically paper gowns that all these people are wearing. And of course they both have like huge boobs. And wasn't the purpose of that to show the diversity of the, the casting yeah. that they've done? Like, yeah. Oh, we have many kinds of boobs here. <laughs> yeah. She was talking about too. I think that they specifically pick these homeless people. They even supposedly smell like these like victims. Uh, oh yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. How would they know that? Exactly. And what a, what a, how lucky is it that they found a homeless man or homeless woman to match that smell? Bizarre. Bizarre. I, I saw in the end credits of this movie that uh, there's like 200 credited background artists on this movie. Wow. And I don't know what the fuck 
I I can't explain it. It I felt like there it. were. It felt like aside from the principal cast, you know, the the B list celebs, that there were like twelve other people in this movie. To me, mm, there were a lot of extras. I mean, it was a Prison Break movie. We did get some good fight scenes between the. I mean, quote unquote, good fight scenes between the inmates and the riot police. And I would know. I couldn't see shit because of how black <laughs> the screen was. Yeah, and this yeah. is not like complaining about the finale of Game of Thrones. This was like legitimately badly shot, <laughs> almost as if to try to obscure the fact that the director had no idea what he's doing. I mean, this is a director who can't even make lines, which also drove me. It's not something I usually notice, but when it's not being done well, it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> it's it was just technically technically preposterous. <laughs> in almost every level i mean my favorite shot of the movie is like when we are like soon after we're introduced to to jay tynan novak and tori alex boone uh they're like entering the facility down like a long cinder block hallway and we just stay with them the entire time it's like a 45 second shot horrible horrible it's like when the fuck is this gonna be over haven't you ever heard of fucking coming in late, leaving early, you sons of bitches? It's like they thought they were making the uh, the corridor walk scene from Silence of the Lambs, except without any of the elements along the course of that walk that make it interesting or heighten the tension. Our our guy Harrison Smith loves Goodfellas, and he wanted a, a, a steady cam shot as they're coming in. <laughs> Except he didn't have a set. He just had a hallway. (laughs) Guys, you know, I gotta say, like, I try, as I've said before, to approach each of these movies with as much love and positivity as possible and kind of to take the most positive possible spin on them. But goddamn, it feels real good to just be fucking cutting promos on this movie right now because it deserves it. It may be the most incoherent fucking thing I've seen in this entire two-and-a-half-year-long journey of watching every horror movie on Netflix. It, yeah, speak uh, speak for yourself, because I, I I thought it was amazing and a beautiful film because <laughs> oh, of fuck this. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, the three Satans, though. Crazy. I mean, there's this... <sighs> these three characters are introduced. One thinks he's the son of Satan. One thinks he created Satan. The third thinks that he is Satan. We spend like five fucking minutes with these guys, and again, this goes absolutely nowhere. Well, like, and like we're told what their roles allegedly are, but they two of them disagree with the roles that the doctors have like prescribed to them as well. And there's like this bickering about it. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching here? <laughs> this makes no uh, sense. What the fuck was going on with the tattoos? Did did we get an answer for that? No. Like, when they were in this shower scene, so Boone and Novak are in the shower, showering together, obviously naked. No soap in sight, all right? (laughs) They were in the shower for how fucking long without any soap? Um, (laughs) And there's tattoos all over their body. Like, this guy has this this weird, like, filigree, like, tree-looking thing with birds. It looks like something that you'd buy in the dollar store, one of those, like, wall vinyls that it's like, yeah. love faith you know like one of those things and they both say i have all these tattoos i don't know why i have them i don't know what they mean he's got this like girl on his chest like this little girl i guess and she's holding like a candelabra or something if i remember correctly it's mystifying and it felt like the entire (laughs) scene was just so that we could see tits honestly exactly oh absolutely 
this movie felt to me a little bit like uh, Corbin Nash, yes. which was a movie we watched that was very incoherent, but we later found out was written to be a prequel to the movie they actually wanted to write and make. So, like, scenes like that, like, it kind of felt, in the way this ends, it's like, I almost felt like this was a prequel to a better idea that somebody but if it's the first movie that comes out it's not a prequel (laughs) right right (laughs) i was going to make that exact same comparison it has big corbin nash energy where you almost feel like they have some larger concept planned out and it's never gonna be realized oh thank god (laughs) (laughs) but i mean so the shower scene ties directly into one of the things i was going to bring up which is just how lifeless these protagonists are like where did they find these two people these performances are devoid of charisma thank you patrick because i feel like you're always like a lot more charitable about acting in in our aim on movies than i am and i was about to blow a gasket if you said anything positive about these performances (laughs) like even in the scene where they're hanging on the fucking homeless people trying not to get discovered there's no there's there's not there's nary a moment of tension in either of their eyes. I mean, they're just I don't even know how to well, describe listen, it. Let's let's cut our our bright young stuff uh fresh-faced actors a break because we're also talking about, you know, D Wallace phoning it in. A lot of these actors phoning it in. Uh, you know, I, I it's too soon to make proclamations about the inherent acting ability of any of these people, but Obviously, they did not have great material or direction to work That's with. That's true. I mean, that that does make a big difference. God, Dee Wallace, so disappointing. It felt like she was afraid to say her lines, almost. Like, she was speaking in hushed tones the entire time, even when it was unnecessary. Well, they were being hunted but by even inmates before that, wanted to murder them all. Even before I didn't that, get that at all. I will, I will defend Dee. I think Dee, I mean, not a great performance, but she's fine. It's good. It's oh, fine. God. I like her hair. It's good hair. It's wild hair. <laughs> The, the the actress who plays Boone is just like oh, constantly constantly dead eyed. But okay, my second note. Here's my second note. Here here's my positive thing that I have to say is Lloyd Kaufman shows up about halfway through oh, this yes. movie and just destroys every little scene that he's in as the doctor performing surgery on this guy who's had like a i don't know emp or what's placed inside that guy's body and lloyd kaufman just goes for the camp that everybody else should have been going for and is fucking hilarious god bless him god bless him in drag in the cursed film series on shutter like the man is having a late career renaissance and i was so happy to see him just having fun that's what's lacking in the rest of this entire movie nobody seems to want to be there and he's like i'm just gonna go gonzo like 80s SCTV nonsense for this scene because it doesn't deserve any more. That's how the rest of the movie should have been and it would have yeah. been a masterpiece. Yes. Uh, but the rest of it is not self-aware. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman is the only person in this movie who seems to be self-aware. Yeah. And the way that whole sequence is constructed is so bizarre because he's just doing surgery to find this device but like it's intercut with just completely arbitrary scenes from the rest of the movie. <laughs> so it's like yeah. we're watching a scene and then it cuts back to this operating theater for like five seconds where all we do is see like Lloyd Kaufman hamming it up like without his mask on in the surgery then back to something that like supposedly drives the plot forward then back to Lloyd Kaufman (laughs) with his hands in someone's guts yeah (laughs) I will also give credit to Barbara Crampton Barbara Crampton is is a lot of fun to watch in this and seems to actually be having fun she's at home she's in her element yeah yeah enjoyable 
Well, I think uh, it's time to review the damn thing so we can uh, talk about some of these uh, ostensible plot details in a little more detail. What do, what do you say? Yeah, let's go for it. You want to go first, Steven? I want, I, it sounds like you're rating, uh, I don't know what to expect. Seriously? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you view it, cue it, or screw this it? This is like, I mean, it, <laughs> so um, for the listeners, Chris stepped away for a moment. You're not going to hear that bit, but Patrick and uh, was talking with me and Christine about like the 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 dregs of the movies we've watched, the movies that like have gotten all screwits from us. And man, I hope this joins the ranks. This was just <laughs> an awful, awful slog to get through. I used the term paragon of incompetence before, and I, I think that's that's my capsule review for this. Just nothing works on any level of this movie. It's impossible to tell what's going on, what the philosophy of it is, what the politics are. There's not even really any exciting action in it to kind of to kind of keep you going. So I will give this the hardest possible screw it I can give it. Wow, Patrick! Wait, does that mean you disliked it? Are you screwing it harder than anything you've screwed in the entire history of Amon? No, but I'm saying like it's—I'm screwing it as hard as one can screw a movie on okay. on this podcast. I think it belongs gotcha. in in the bottom ranks. Gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, as as you mentioned, I was looking at the list because I was just. You know, my instinct is this is one of the, if not the worst movie that I've watched for this show. And I was just going through our most disliked movies. Uh, I have to confess several of them I don't even remember. If any of you listeners out there remember a damn thing about Dead Awake, Clinical, Bleed, uh, Mm. Be Afraid. You know, shoot me an email. Just kind of fill me in on whatever the hell happened in that movie. And then maybe I can uh, have a better opinion. But, I mean, suffice it to say, this is one of the most puzzling films I've ever seen. Steven keeps using the term paragon of incompetence. I would just tweak that slightly. It's more, there are some competent things about the movie to me. To me, I'm just boggled by the incoherence. It just does not fit together. It doesn't make sense. There are so many scenes that, as I said before, just invalidate the scene that came before and, you know, I almost want to give it extra points for for boggling my mind in this unique way because I was entertained at times, but uh, it's just so poorly done. I, I've struggled to find words throughout this episode to really express <laughs> just what was going on here. And I'm going to lay it to rest. Screw it. Uh, Christine. So... So far, you both have had a lot to say about how you want to screw it. Um, I don't have that much to say (laughs) because that is pretty much how I sum up the movie. Um, Not a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but not a lot going on, if you know what I mean. Um, (laughs) Nothing really made sense. Nothing was really entertaining. That the sound effects sucked. Um, The last half an hour of the movie, it was so dark. I could barely tell what was going on in terms of fight scenes. I just, let's just say screw it, man. Screw it. It's not worth your time. It's not, to me, it's not boggling enough to be like, I'm going to watch it again and see if I could pick up on some other stuff. It was kind of just um, a dumpster fire. You know, as I noted, I I did rewatch the first half hour, and that's uh, it's not a rewarding experience. If you're, if you're thinking <laughs> about going back and trying to find those extra notes, uh, don't. 
don't waste your time. I, I want to add, um, kind of piggybacking on what Christine said, just add to my review a little bit. Like, just to make this as clear as possible, this is, and, and I don't know if this comes across in our discussion or not, this is not a fun, bad movie, at least for me. This is not like a future cult classic in the making. It, it hurt my brain to try and keep up with this thing <laughs> in the worst way possible. Uh, Chris, what did you think? I feel like you're going to be a little more positive than the rest of us. <laughs> All right. So, look, I agree with everything you guys said. I agree it belongs in the, the bottom tier of all the movies we've watched on this podcast. I have to give it a cue it, though, because, <laughs> <laughs> because this is just so inscrutable and such a unique film experience for me. Such an experiment in insanity to me. <laughs> I, I did not get bored with it. I mean, I, if anything, it flew by because I, I was like still trying to figure out the premise of the movie. And I looked at the time and I was like more than halfway through it. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the next time that you were trying to figure out the premise of the movie, you checked the time and it was over. <laughs> Basically, yeah. No, I, I, I texted someone else last night. I said, I feel like I knew more about this movie before I watched it. <laughs> I do now. That's real. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Yeah. I read the plot synopsis and I was like, oh, this sounds like it's going to be a pretty straightforward romp. <laughs> Every decision in this movie is just completely confounding and alien to me. And mm-hmm. there's, I found it to be kind of precious in that sense. And, <laughs> you know, precious. I honestly can't say that I'll never watch it again. And I, I, I'm sorry that you guys, because I understand how you could just not have any enjoyment like for me it was not so bad it's good but definitely so bad that it's interesting and you know there's certainly no other movie like it (laughs) so i'll say cue it check it out if you want (laughs) that assessment is patrick as fuck and i love it (laughs) (laughs) if you're gonna see a movie called death house (laughs) it's not even uh, okay what i don't understand too is like it's not a house. It's a prison. <laughs> Why is it called a death house? There are well, other death houses, apparently. The big house. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that sort of makes sense. They, you uh, know, these things get nicknames. When I hear death I mean, house, I think like put haunted it this way. house. Let's just put it this way. That's like number 573 on my <laughs> yeah. list of the top most inscrutable things about this movie. Oh, did I say 573? I meant 573,000. <laughs> Well, when Chris, when Chris said, like, when you when you hear about a movie called Death House, I'm like, this is not what I'd expect from that title. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, all right. I mean, to be fair, we, we when we saw Abattoir, we thought it was going to take place in an Abattoir. When we watched Dead Awake, we didn't think it was going to be a movie Ugh. about people who are asleep most of the time. Lord. <laughs> fair. Totally fair, Chris. Hey. You know what has what? Uh, less false advertising than this movie? Our merch store. Our merch store. <laughs> my, great segue. That's the, or great seg. Wow. Don't, they, don't they say that that's one? That's real yeah, smooth. As, uh, as D. Wallace would pronounce it, a great seg in this movie. Oh, yeah. Did anyone notice that? She says seg instead that. of segue. I noticed that, too. There were several mispronunciations could, in this movie. I could barely hear her during this movie, so of course I didn't notice that. The word acquirement is also used in this movie, rather than <laughs> acquisition. Um, yeah, so to get to what we're selling, though, to complete my really graceful seg, 
we have a merch store. If you may not have heard so far, we have our uh, beautiful logo that I designed on T-shirts, coffee mugs, stickers, whatever you want. Uh, go check that out at everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. It's available at the merch store link. And also, don't forget to follow us on all your social platforms at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast. And to uh, review us, drop us uh, you know, a little rating. We like to hear your feedback, and it helps people find the show. And at the same time, uh, you know, if you like the show, recommend it to your friends. That also makes it easier for people to find the show. I'm done. That was, that was my whole seg. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to go catch our breath, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to delve into the spoiler room. I don't know if we'll have too much to talk about, but we'll be uh, probably breaking down some of the more uh, incoherent scenes and choices uh, that happened in this movie. Oh, Chris, and, uh, we're going deeper than the spoiler room. We are going down to the ninth circle of hell. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're going to meet the five evils, baby. <laughs> five evils, here we come. I, I would follow you guys to hell. <laughs> I wrote that line down, too. <laughs> Dude, Is that just exactly as- where you're going? <laughs> Let's find out. All right, we'll be back in a minute. Stick around. All right, welcome back. We are down here at level nine of the spoiler room. I'm ready to turn myself into an immortal being. How about the rest of y'all? I mean, we got yep. four. We got four evils down here right now, so we only need one more, and we're ready to party. <laughs> Which okay, so like, I mean, uh, I don't even know where to begin. We're just, we're, we're well, let's just try to get into it. Basically, what goes on in this movie towards the end of the movie is Kane Hodder uh, emerges, and I guess in retrospect, I think maybe his plan all along, even going back to when he was arrested, was to do this. He's basically causing a prison i think he causes the prison break i think like an acolyte of him because it's a little kid wearing a nazi uh hat right yeah i don't know yeah well, i mean let's go with that let's go with that we can only benefit so much from trying to trying to figure this stuff out but uh he's trying to get down to the ninth level and interface with the five evils and basically become the sixth evil i guess and what is an evil i don't know like a, a kind of a god kind of a devil Who but the also fuck knows? okay they have really cool outfits they do right? have sweet outfits. Really cool outfits with different yeah. different shapes glowy yeah. shapes they're basically like the the people from uh in the fucking uh what's it called in in superman from the the phantom zone phantom zone they're basically in the phantom Hold zone from on, superman. Though. let's let's back up a bit and i'm i'm you know like with most things with this movie i i feel like i'm at risk of sounding really stupid which is ridiculous because it's so hard to follow there's a moment you where cannot th- sound stupider than this movie let's just put it that way <laughs> there's a moment where like there are like rivaling factions like at the start of the prison break and one of them i don't know who he's played by if he's somebody i'm supposed to know from you know Pumpkinhead or whatever the fuck but he seems to <laughs> it was not lance henrickson <laughs> it was not lance henrickson we can be where the fuck was lance 
Lance Henriksen in this movie. What else did he have to do? <laughs> what better does Lance have to do? That dude still does like five direct-to-video movies a year. He was probably too busy. They were probably shooting this when Lance Henriksen was at Motor City Comic Con when I saw him and incoherently <laughs> told him to do another season of Millennium. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so anyway, there's a scene that like totally baffled me, and I backed up, and like, something about like the reverse function on Netflix didn't really satisfy me. There's a scene where it appears that Kane Hodder's <laughs> entrails get ripped out, but then he... Oh, yeah. Yes. What, yes. what is going oh, on yeah. there? Ken Hodder dies. Ken Hodder gets shot, falls off a fucking like four story ramp in the prison block, and then stands hits the, the ground, fuck up. gets his entrails ripped out, and then comes back to life. And he's like, "See, look, I'm immortal." Yeah, he's like, and that's like, "Who what? else wants to try me?" <laughs> Doesn't he get his intestines ripped out by that big guy that he squared off with after that scene? Yeah, or at the end of that scene? Yeah, I think so. Well, he also has these weird cuffs on that shoot like little harpoons basically into his stomach at one point and this whole concept of this technology is explained in the briefest little like cg fly through earlier in the the virtual tour that the agents are receiving like you see uh like a blueprint like a little schematic for how this technology works earlier on and then you're all of a sudden just supposed to go oh yeah that's that's what happens when he like tries to resist as he gets a little harpoon shot into his stomach and that becomes somewhat relevant in this scene where he gets shot. It's, my God, this is like a dream. I feel like I'm recounting a dream when I talk about this movie. Same, because I backed up and I was like, wait, Kane Hodder is back. And I was like trying to find the moment where he reemerges from death. And I just, again, I don't know. It was something with like the scrubbing on Netflix. I couldn't find it. And I was eventually like, you know what? Well, this is all a dream. It doesn't fucking matter. He died. He's back. No, it's not. It, it's not the scrubbing on Netflix. It's just that it's that cursory. The way that he stands yeah. back up from being sh- apparently shot to death. Okay, I, I was giving this way too much of the benefit of the doubt. Thank you for clearing yeah. that out. No. <laughs> no, nothing makes sense. No, nothing makes sense. And I don't know. I guess I guess you can hand wave that away by being like, oh well, he's uh, evil. He's not a Nazi, but also an occultist or something. They say something like that. You know, at this at this I point in the know. movie, it almost started to feel like a Hodorowski comic book to me, where it's like there's all these big <laughs> issues of like life and death and technology and the devil, and like it doesn't really make sense because it's just Hodorowski's acid dream, and you're just supposed to follow it. Unfortunately, this movie is not as beautiful to look at as a Hodorowski graphic novel. <laughs> They're certainly aspiring to something like that. At the end, we get like so much exposition from these evils about the nature of evil. And... But okay, my question is, what <laughs> does that mean? What is their power? What are they trying to accomplish except to like Absolutely restore nothing. the balance of evil? It, it, it's delirious. <laughs> like Bill Mosley just monologues about the nature of evil and how good and evil are just constructs and evil people need to be chased and blah, blah, blah. And we're creating a new morality and new human race, blah, blah. And it's literally just bullshit. Like, I mean, it, it makes no more sense and is no more gripping than the way I just attempted to recount it in 10 seconds. But he also mentions babble. He also mentions like social media and how social media has given way to a new form of violence that evil can exploit. And I'm like, okay, then like make that mean something to me. (laughs) 
and it doesn't happen. All of this stuff. There are so many moments in this movie where characters, especially these five evils, just say things that it's like the script was just cobbled together from like some angsty high schoolers like Facebook posts, like like <laughs> one sentence long platitudes about. Well, you know, did you ever think that like evil? You can't have good unless you have evil. <laughs> and like any one of those ideas maybe could have been developed into like a mature theme that the movie could have kind of leaned on, but instead it's just they just are thrown haphazardly into every line of dialogue and ultimately mean nothing. Well, yeah. I don't understand what their end game is. I don't understand how they came to harness these powers in this prison. But did they look cool? Did they look cool? They looked all right. They looked all right. <laughs> they looked cool. Yeah. The, the mission accomplished. They were badass. Did, did you recognize the actors who played them? Well, okay. Here's uh, I talked about eye lines or sight lines earlier. Like that was the scene where I fucking lost my shit because you got the five evils standing around in their cool outfits with their glowing like Tony Stark symbols on their chest, and and we've got our two protagonists are you know mysterious agents in every single one of these like B actors you know Bill Mosley, Michael Berryman I don't know who else is in that scene whenever they look like they're supposed to be looking toward our protagonists they're looking the wrong way and it just keeps compounding to a maddening degree in the sequence which is again something I don't normally notice in a movie because it's so rarely not done competently and i found it just so distracting it's like one of the most basic tenets of filmmaking the 180 degree rule in this movie i I don't know maybe there's something there maybe they broke it intentionally to drive me crazy i'm not sure but again that's probably like you know in the six hundred (laughs) thousandth big problems i have with this thing (laughs) i want to talk about a scene because this scene like just really Two two scenes actually that they are are subsequent, uh, really illustrate just it, like if I could show someone two scenes and say this is Death House, this is what I would do. The scene where they are hiding from the escaped inmates by clinging to like the uh, <laughs> meat hooked corpses in like the refrigerated area, uh-huh. and. They're hiding and they're they're hanging on for dear life for an interminable amount of time while the, the the Ken Hodder and his buddies do other stuff on the ground and then Dee Wallace can't hang on anymore so she falls and she falls about two and a half to three feet yes and yeah. <laughs> but it's like slow mo of her like of, she looks like Mufasa like yes. the way they shoot her like falling <laughs> off of this thing dude I'm so glad and that she you brought dies. this up because I was so puzzled in this scene. I was like, is there something that I missed about the architecture of this room or the just the spatial geometry of this room? Is there more uh, depth between them and the floor? And I'm so glad that you're backing up my perception that, no, it's just a normal room. And she fell from, like you said. Well, it's feet. not a normal room, It's but it's like it's shot in a range so bizarrely that like at first we see them walk into this big cavernous sort of like warehouse room you see these bodies hanging you know 15 feet or more above the ground i don't know how they get up there to hide on these bodies so quickly and then when d wallace falls it looks like it was shot on a green screen and she really just fell like two feet but they tried to slow it down to make it look like there was greater depth or something oh so it is a higher ceiling room it It is is supposed to be like Oh okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I can conf- I can I can forgive all this confusion about like the room depth and how that actually worked out. But when she dies, they run over to her and they're like, "Where's the, what do they call it? The kill switch? 
the gas yeah that yeah what talking about and oh, they're yeah. like they're like where's the kill switch and she's she she won't tell them or, or she can't tell them because she dies but <laughs> what i don't this is what i don't understand where the fuck are they going i thought they were going towards the kill switch but apparently they weren't how do they not know where it's located already and working towards getting to it or getting i, I I guess I just didn't understand how they didn't already know about it. Okay, like, Christine, where, where you gotta it let located. it all go. You gotta let it all go to watch Death <laughs> House. Like, here's my here's another huge problem I had. I mean, I wouldn't call it a problem because at this point I was bothered by nothing. I was just along for the ride. I don't know if they're going up or down the Death House. I don't know where the fuck they're at or where anybody's going or what their plan is. I thought they were going up. So so that the the one main guy, what is his name? Sieg? Sieg? Is that his name? Yeah. Sieg, yeah. So he was going down to, I guess, the ninth level to visit those god, anti-god type whatevers. But they were trying to go up. So like, when when did they meet? <laughs> when did they when did they meet? Because they started at like level four and were trying to get to right? level zero. Exactly. And, and Kane Hodder starts at level five and he's trying to get to level nine. Well, and speaking of level four, so this is all supposed to be mildly, I guess, real mildly based off of Dante's Inferno, right? Yeah. Yes. It, so, share your literary insight. That's why we brought you on this okay, episode. Okay. We're like, we need a librarian to so, explain Dante's Inferno. So I'm like, okay, well they're they're elevator has now stopped at the fourth level so what the fuck what what does that mean right that has to have some kind of symbolism right that's what you would think but the fourth level is greed so like there's no absolutely no tie into that and then there's also like there's nine there's nine levels or layers but then there's also the center of hell why aren't they going to the center instead of the ninth it's like they're using dante's inferno just for the numbers of levels first of all yes. dante's inferno absolutely is badass and peter jackson or somebody should make a, an adaptation of it uh secondly I'm not sure they even say in this movie that it's modeled after Dante's Inferno. The only reason we know that is because it was in the Netflix apt- Netflix synopsis. Yeah. So whoever writes those synopsis uh, probably just found the movie completely as confusing as we did. Well, they probably just had some really good ad copy to work with. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, like, or they had like some like promo quote that from like a high school newspaper where it's like it's like dante's inferno but modern or something <laughs> well yeah and like it, again it's probably on the post it's never referenced in the movie and i i wonder how much more delirious this movie would have been had i not read the two sentence netflix description <laughs> yeah the netflix description actually made it make sense and i usually don't read those descriptions. i don't either but anyway, the the next the next scene. Now that the, our our heroes, uh, Agent J. Tinnen and Novak and Boone or Toria, whatever the fuck, Toria Lex, Toria. Um, now that they're free of D. Wallace, they decide they're going to go down to the bowels of hell for some reason. So they get in an elevator shaft. <laughs> yeah. They go to the elevator shaft, and they're like, "Well, the quickest way down is the elevator shaft. Let's just." fall and shoot or something oh my god and they apparently they apparently just dive six to seven stories down an elevator shaft like maybe vaguely hanging onto Uh the cable but mostly in a free fall while they shoot while some new metal song with lyrics starts playing (laughs) (laughs) and then they get to the bottom and and toria has uh, her head's bleeding and and the guy's like 
that looks pretty bad. Oh, and, no fucking uh, shit. You just <laughs> fell down six stories. <laughs> and he says, that looks bad, like because she just fell down an elevator shaft. And she says, fuck it, I'm fine. And they keep going. <laughs> that whole sequence, to me, was very Resident Evil. Yes, yeah. it was. Like, especially the first Resident Evil, where there's an almost identical scene where, like, Mila Jovis is just, like firing guns and like yes. dropping down like insanely long <laughs> tunnels or whatever yeah it's wild yeah. so there was a good part there was a good part of this movie <laughs> wait what is what are you saying is the good part yeah you guys didn't think there was a good part to this movie no lloyd kaufman no full stop what about the part that was blatantly ripped off of the creepypasta which creepypasta what are you talking about the Russian sleep experiment creepypasta. Are you talking about the scene with the like the the mutated like people whose like yes. flesh is gone? Oh. oh, which I thought was a great part. You guys didn't like that part? Oh, I missed that. I totally missed that. I was a hundred and ten percent down for that shit. That shit was weird as fuck. And yeah, all of a sudden I felt like I was actually in a movie that was scaring me and creeping me out a little bit, and I appreciated it. And then it was over. Okay, my problem with that sequence is the characters are not afraid. They see these horrifying creatures, one of whom, one of these creatures, like, inexplicably, and and I I thought about David Lynch a number of times during this movie, is like, okay, well, I'm willing to follow his weird mind. Why do I have a problem with this? This seemed like a direct David Lynch reference. There's one of these, like, creepy creatures that just has, like, their flesh turned inside out. It, like, repeatedly howls into an old-fashioned like, 50s microphone yeah. that's inexplicably hanging from the ceiling. In there? And the characters themselves who are standing there, they're like, oh, this is the safest place right now, according to D. Wallace. They're not afraid at all. I mean, because they can't act to be afraid, these actors. Um, <laughs> but then once one of them starts, like, vaguely crawling toward them, they're like, oh, we should go. And they leave. And they leave the door open behind them. That happened really quickly, yeah. too, because I, I want to say there was a scene of them being introduced to these what I call gooey guys. <laughs> and then they're like, well, we just have to stay in here. We just have to stay in there. And then there's another scene do- with somebody doing something else. And they it was really quick. They cut right back and they said, well, we can't stay in here any longer. I'm like, you were in there for, like, two minutes. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's introduced as like yeah we this is the safe place like that something really fucked up happened in here but this is the place where we'll be safe from the from the mob and and these things won't hurt us because they don't want to escape or whatever and the practical effects i mean the practical effects are fine throughout the movie they were really amazing in this Agreed. sequence yeah. um yeah these these gooey yeah, guys <laughs> look phenomenal um th- you know they look like they've had their flesh eaten off or whatever you see all yeah. kinds of weird little critters and creatures and everything like that um it was really good and creepy. The problem for me is that it was good because it was plagiarized from creepypasta. There's, there's a there's a creepypasta that's been out for years and years about researchers who basically kept like people awake for like 15 days on a gas, and they all went crazy. And they put a microphone in the room so that they could monitor them. Oh. And then they started hearing fucked up stuff on the microphone. And then eventually they go back in and they see like these just subhuman things that have like eaten their own flesh off and stuff. And they're like barely human and they say we no longer wish to be free uh-huh. which is what the thing kept saying um so good creepypasta we'll put that in the show notes if you haven't read that the creepypasta is probably scarier than the sequence because the sequence it just happens like everything else in this movie it's just there and suddenly you're like oh wow finally in this crazy horror movie yeah. some cool creature effects and then it's over you know nothing really there's yeah. no there's, so there's no conflict whatsoever in that sequence it's just hey you want to see something fucked up 
all right here it is yeah. and we're gone yeah that was so good and considering like christine said it feels like they were writing this movie as they were filming it they should have just stretched that out to like tw- oh, 20 minutes of this movie where no. they're just hiding in there with those no. things because <laughs> that would have been more interesting <laughs> i agree I was like legitimately nauseated actually when one of these creatures picks up a baby or fetus like or something yeah. that has like a beak. I think it didn't look really human and like takes a bite out of it. I, I was actually kind of sick to my stomach at that. I laughed out loud actually because it started off creepy. I was like, ooh, I don't like this. The sound effect that they use, like the, the foley they used for the bite was clearly, I mean, I'd be shocked if this wasn't true. It was clearly just like one of the crew members biting into an apple. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it though. That was that was part of what horrified me so much. It was just such I don't know, it was a very weird sound effect. It really disoriented me. I was just like, this thing is too goopy to sound so crisp when you bite into it. That doesn't make any sense to me. And it That made it weirder to me, actually. Oh, that was part of why I reacted to it so much was actually that sound effect. Huh. But okay, what the fuck is going on with Sieg? Like, Sieg shows up at the end, like, everybody's standing around in their Tony Stark suits with, like, the PlayStation fucking buttons (laughs) on the chest. And Sieg is trying to become one of them. And then he, like, fucking, there's, like, lightning ghosts that swoop (laughs) into him and light him on fire. I I feel like to try to make sense of this is just to, to... Drip away what makes it special. <laughs> like, I don't know. For some, I don't understand the motivations. Well, I think we have a difference of opinion in the in the idea that it's special. <laughs> the the gods are like, actually, see, we've been following you forever. You disgust us. We're gonna kill you now. And why? And then he just like melts down. Great movie. Well, also, the the gas that the agents have been trying to release for the entire third act all of a sudden just comes out. Can can anybody clarify on why the gas... Like the murder gas. The gas comes was on out. a timer. The gas was always going to be released, and they they uh, D Wallace says, "Oh, it's not going to. It doesn't work on the ninth floor. Like it goes down there, but it doesn't work on the gods or whatever because they're immortal, right? So basically, they just had like a forty five minute timer on the gas, and it happened to go off when they were down there. So was he killed by the gas, or was he killed by something else? Because I thought the gas. I guess made it so that the bacteria in your body basically eat your body from the inside out, but it looked like he kind of like turned into fire, like there was fire inside yeah. of him, and that's how he died. So what Absolutely. the hell did that have to do with the gas? I don't understand. I think he was like, I don't know, my reading is like he was somehow... <laughs> oh, that was a great silence. <laughs> he was... he. My reading on this, and again, you know, I'm talking about this as if I, I had a peyote trip or something. Like, my, my reading of, of that was that, like, he... I don't know what he did, but, like, he wasn't good enough to join the ranks. Like, they didn't need him. There's five evils. They don't need a sixth evil. Like, what a joker. You think you can join us? And then he just spontaneously combusts. I don't know. I don't think there's any more logic to it than that. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah. This movie it's is wild. wild. <laughs> so, so, Christine, as, a, as like, a, you know, a, a fiction <sighs> author... How would you fix this story? <laughs> I would I would print it all out and then I would throw it in the trash. <laughs> I was going to say, Chris, that's I would a, not hit save. <laughs> that's a big ask. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, 
what what is we really need to figure out what the point of the story is you know what's the theme there's no theme here there's no theme here i i wrote down but christine evil right (laughs) evil well and and when we're first down in that that ninth ring with the five evils here's the theme of things god is not evil but he's not as good as everybody thinks and i thought Okay, well, that's that's where we're going with this. This is a religious spin on things and that, you know, God is terrible because he lets all these terrible things happen and yada, 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 yada. But then, like, that wasn't it at all. So I, I thought, okay, well, finally we have a theme, but then that was kind of thrown out, like, literally five minutes later. We really need a theme for this. We need some kind of underlying stitching. Usually you need some characters, right? (laughs) Characters, (laughs) story arcs. Well, there's Uh, there's a line early on that kind of oh, there's no tension in this whatsoever. Oh no, none, Uh, none, um, none. You you can see it. I'm sorry, you can see it like when they're in the elevator with the the one scientist who has the monotone voice who doesn't care about anything. And all of a sudden, you know, it goes red and she's explaining very calmly that they have no power and nobody gives a shit. There's no tension. Nobody's freaking out. Nobody's <laughs> concerned about anything. <laughs> you know, yeah. there was a line early on and I wrote it down, but I honestly don't remember if this was spoken dialogue, if this was text. But it's, it's, it was my first note. Who prays for Satan, the original sinner? And I feel like that was like re- that was supposed to set us up to make sense of all this, and it just yeah. it goes nowhere. Yep, you can't fix yep. this. <laughs> no, nope. if anybody could, it's Christine, and she's as flummoxed as we are. Throw it and away. Like, you know, the, and the, the funny thing is, it ends it ends with this shot of our heroes Jay Tynan Novak and Toriel X Boone, special agents, like walking out of the prison, and they're like we don't know who we are like let's go find out and it's like i don't know who the fuck you are when did this movie come out uh 2017 i think yeah there's no sequel because that set it up for a sequel i felt like well yeah there's no sequel. what's going on in that final (laughs) shot with tony todd where there's helicopters that i thought were going to descend upon the death house but they go in the opposite direction he's kind of moving his hand as if he's like force willing them to do something and then he says yes you have work to do what work are they doing who where what where are these helicopters coming from and again who is he what is his role in all of this why that tag at the end of the movie it's mind-blowing aren't you just bothered that you're never gonna know (laughs) (laughs) listen i'm not gonna lose any sleep over this i'm gonna like like the final destination series i will scrub this from my brain the second we stop recording (laughs) i'll be fine Oh man, Chris, are you sure about that? Cue it. Yeah, cue it. Absolutely, <laughs> cue right. it. All I've right. never seen a film like this. Right. It, I feel, I feel a little bit like uh, William Friedkin felt about um, Father Amore. <laughs> it, this movie <laughs> enriched my life. Oh my <laughs> god! All right, so what the hell are we watching next week? I think it's Patrick's turn to pick. Yeah, what do you got, Patrick? Yes. So you know, we mentioned on a recent episode that. Uh, we had this video that we posted uh, months ago from Dabe the Possession when when we reviewed that movie, this crazy-ass scene from the movie. And recently, um, just a ton of folks from uh, all over South Asia have been kind of discovering that video, and we've got like over 6,000 views on it at this point, which is wild. 
so that just kind of reminded me. I was like, wow, we haven't done an international film in quite a while. And as I was, oh, I thought, are we doing Dobby four, Dobby five? No, 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 doing, dude, I'm not. Are we doing the with Dobby that. we didn't do because we stopped doing alphabetical order? No, the Dobby <laughs> movies are all like two and a half hours long. I don't want to. I don't want to fuck with that. But as I was going through the Netflix horror listing right now, like there's a lot of international films and specifically a lot of um, Thai horror films on Netflix right now. So next time we are going to watch the Thai horror film Nang Nak. N-A-N-G space N-A-K. And this is apparently like a really popular and really influential movie in Thai cinema. It was the first Thai film ever to make more than 100 million baht, uh, which is the Thai currency, and continues to apparently be really influential there. So I'm very curious to see it. It takes place in the 1830s. It's supposed to be like a romantic uh, ghost story. So very curious. Uh, I wish it, I wish it, it took place in the 1920s. Yeah, oh. no, there's there's only one 1920 London Fear Strikes again. I yeah, yeah. hate to say it. Cool. All right. Well, we'll head over to Thailand in two weeks. And uh, figuratively speaking, of course, we are still in lockdown. We, we're not up to international travel probably ever again. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, check us out online. Do all that stuff we talked about. Uh, for every horror movie on Netflix, uh, I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Steven. And very special thanks to our very special guest, Christine. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Christine. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you all next time.